Good morning. Today's the day. It's the day of the big game. Yeah? It's Super Bowl Sunday. I know it's hard to imagine given the distance that we've been in for a year, but it's the day. It's Super Bowl Sunday, and frankly, whether or not you are a football fan or not, you can't deny the significance of this day to millions of people around our country and really around the world. It's kind of a big deal. It's a spectacle. It's a circus. And it's many things, but at its simplest, it's a game. It's a game. It's a contest. And games are such a compelling metaphor for life. They just are. Think for a minute of your favorite game. This could be a game that you love to watch. It could be an athletic competition. It could be a game that you participate in. It could be something that you love to play with family or friends. Just think about it for a second. Have you got one in mind? Yeah? Good. Now, for a second, think about the rules of that game. Maybe they're simple rules. Maybe they're very complicated rules like the game of flux. But think about the rules that apply to that favorite game of yours. And now, think about trying to play that game without any of those rules. Just put all those rules aside and imagine what it would be like to try and play that game. Pretty hard, isn't it? The rules are essential to the game. Knowing them and abiding by them are critical in order for everyone to participate and to enjoy the game. I remember many years ago, my family hosted a foreign exchange student in our home. She was from Norway, and as part of our experience and wanting to share the American experience with this exchange student, we wanted to expose her to a variety of cultural things that were very American. And one of those things was to bring her to a baseball game. Nothing more American than a baseball game, right? So we went out to the stadium, got our tickets, found our seats, and as we got ready to start the game, I thought, well, this would be a good time to explain the game of baseball because this foreign exchange student had never watched or seen a baseball game before. Well, it's a simple enough game, right? You got a batter who gets up there, and, and he's got a bat, and there's a pitcher, and, and that pitcher's trying to get the ball past that batter, right? If he hits it, he goes on to base, and if he gets all the way home, he scores a run. Simple, right? Until the game started. And I had to start explaining some of the nuances. <laughs> okay, so the pitcher's going to pitch the ball across the plate, right? Yes, yes. And so, so how many times does he get to do that? Well... Um, he pitches the ball across the plate, and the, the batter tries to swing and hit the ball, and if he swings and hits it, then he gets a hit, but if he swings and misses, he gets a strike. Oh, okay. Across comes the pitch, the batter doesn't swing, and it's still a strike. Well, what happened there? Well, you see, there's an area where they can throw it where it's a strike whether or not the batter swings at it or not. Oh, okay. Well, what happens if they don't hit it or they don't throw it in that spot. Well, then they get something called a ball. Oh, a ball, great. Well, how many balls and strikes do they get? Well, they get three strikes, 
and up to four balls. But if they get the three strikes before they get the four balls, then they're out. Oh, perfect. Great. So one strike, two strikes, third pitch, the ball gets hit, and it's a foul ball. Well, didn't they get a hit? Well, he hit the ball, but he didn't hit it between the two lines that you have to hit it in in order to get a hit. So instead, it went out into the, into the stands, and it's a foul. Oh, so is that a strike? Well, it is if it's one of the first two strikes, but if it's the third strike, it's not a strike, and he can foul it as many times as he wants. Oh, so it's a ball. No, it's not really a ball. It's not a ball or a strike. Well, then what is it? Just trust me, they're not out. It was hard, and that was just getting through balls and strikes. It had nothing to do with getting runners on base or how to advance runners or what it meant to have a force out or a pop fly or all of those things. It suddenly became amazing how complicated and how many rules were in effect for this game. <laughs> but if you don't know the rules, it's hard to enjoy the game and impossible to play the game. That's the thing about rules. So today we are starting a new sermon series entitled The Game of Life. And over the next several weeks, we are going to be talking about the basic rules that God has put into place in order to create a trustworthy world in which everyone can play. Now these basic rules that we're talking about are called commandments or laws. And that word commandment comes from two Latin words, mandatum, which means rule or law, mandate, and co, which means something you do together, joined together. So it's not just rules that affect you individually. They are co-rules. They are rules in which we all are impacted by the way in which you live out those rules. Those are commandments. Now, before you start thinking, boy, pastor, this sounds like kind of simple stuff. I mean, aren't we past this by now? I mean, can't we just kind of move on to something a little deeper? Do we really need to talk about God's commandments? The answer is yes. <laughs> Unequivocally, yes. Absolutely. It's simple, and we need to talk about it. Why? Well, if you were here last week, I shared a little bit about our loss of civility. The loss of our ways of which we as human beings operate, communicate, and function with one another. The way we talk to one another, the way we act towards one another. These are basic, simple things that we have lost. And the thing is, these simple, basic commands that God has put into place are specifically put in place to help us function with our neighbors and to help us function under God's rule. That's what they're there for. And they're still in place, and they still matter. And believe me, don't just take my word for it. We need to take God's word for it. In fact, Jesus' word for it. So let me read to you from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. These are the words of Jesus. 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it pretty clear that everything that has been spoken through the law and the prophets, that's the majority of the entire Old Testament, is still important. As a matter of fact, it's critical for our full participation in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to clarify what Jesus means when he says that. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can take the kingdom of heaven and use it interchangeably with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is wherever the king rules. That's the dominion, the domain of the king, the kingdom. Wherever the king is, wherever the king rules, that is his kingdom. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are all the place where God rules, absolutely. Now it's important to understand that when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's not something out there somewhere. It's easy for us to kind of separate those things. Well, if we're talking about heaven, we must be talking about something that's way out there somewhere. It's not really here. Is it or isn't it? Well, the answer is yes and no. (laughs) What do I mean? Well, you see, the kingdom of heaven is where God's rule has been firmly established and is completely followed. That's the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray specifically that wherever this dominion, this domain of God is, wherever God's rule is, that kingdom of heaven, may it be the same here on earth as it is there. So there's some type of a distinction that Jesus makes between this kingdom of of heaven, kingdom of God, and the kingdom in which we now operate. So what is that all about? Well, Jesus himself came to earth as a human being to inaugurate this kingdom, to get this kingdom started, to announce and to proclaim to everybody on earth That this kingdom of God, this rule and reign of God is now among you. It is now here. The king himself, Jesus, has arrived. And the kingdom comes with him. And he wants to proclaim it. And he wants to declare it over every single person in every single place. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's what Jesus says in the gospel of Mark. 
Repent and believe the good news. Believe that God's kingdom rule, the place where all things are made right according to God's rule, is now among you. It's now here. It has arrived. Change your way of thinking from the way that the world sees things and let it instead come under the authority and rulership of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. And it's here now, and it's not quite yet here now. <laughs> it has started, it began when Jesus arrived. And he declares to you and to me that that kingdom is now among you. That kingdom is now over you. And that kingdom is now through you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where you go, the kingdom goes. Where you are, the kingdom is meant to be established. It's where God rules. Jesus came to inaugurate this kingdom on earth over your life and over mine. And to put it simply, life is a game where God rules with God's rules. Life, the life that you and I live, is a place that is meant to be under the authority of God's rule and played according to his rules. That's what it means that the kingdom of God is among us and the kingdom of heaven is here and we want to fully participate in that kingdom. And in order to fully participate in that kingdom, we play the game of life according to God's rules, according to the rule that he has put in place. Now, one set of these rules is what we see in Scripture called the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at these particular rules to see just how God intends these rules to bless us and to show us how we can bless our neighbors. So let's take a look together. Let's start looking at these first two rules in the game of life from Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 1, right at the very beginning of this passage. It's going to set the stage for us and lead us forward into this sermon series. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1 starts like this. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up on the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, 
but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Two commandments that start off this important passage of Scripture that lead us into this place of understanding these commandments of God, these ten core rules in our lives. And I could summarize these two that are connected to one another by this. In the game of life, God doesn't fit in your box and his name doesn't belong to your agenda. Let me say that again. In the game of life, God doesn't fit in your box and his name doesn't belong to your agenda. God doesn't fit in your box. And as you look at the screen in front of you, I hope you can see this image that I have. It's an image from a trip I took to Southeast Asia. It's about six years ago now that I traveled to Southeast Asia on a mission tour with a good friend of mine who is from Southeast Asia. And while I was there, I noticed these houses. They look like really oversized bird houses. And they were everywhere. Outside of every residence, you would find one of these houses, these little houses, on a platform on some portion of the property. And when I asked my friend exactly what these houses were, he said they were called spirit houses. Spirit houses, that was the term for them. Okay, well, what were these spirit houses? Well, here's the thing. In Southeast Asian culture and in their religious understanding, they believe that there are gods all over the place. There are big gods and little gods. There are powerful gods and less powerful gods, and they're all ranked and they all have a hierarchy. But every piece of property is the property of a god. So if you own a home, your home is on the property of a god. And so it is necessary for you to create a place for that God to live. A little house, a spirit house for that God to live in. And then it was your responsibility to tend to the needs of that little God in that little house on your property. You would bring food and drink. You would burn incense and put other things around there. And while it might be a little bit hard to see in that image, one thing that I found fascinating is that they would put little bottles of beverage nearby to this house, and they would put a straw in them. Because apparently the gods can't be bothered with having to open up the lid. They need a straw. So why go to all this trouble? Because here's the thing, if you didn't appease your God, if you didn't keep your property God happy, curses would come onto your home. You didn't want an angry God nearby to you. So it was your responsibility to provide all the things that the God would want and need to keep them happy. And as long as you kept the God happy, your life would be happy too. 
a tiny little box. And that little box was on the corner of every property, including larger properties. As you moved into the city, you would find large buildings and businesses, and those too would have a spirit house. It would be a little larger because, of course, those gods were a little bit more powerful and a little bit more special, and so they needed a little bigger house to be in. Now, it may sound silly, but here's the thing. We have a tendency to want to put God in a box that we can fit him in. We want God to be under our control and live by our rules. And that is the spirit of idolatry. That's what it means when God says you should have no other gods before me. It's not just that there's a plethora of other little gods that are wandering around doing things. It's the reality that if you think you can take the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe and put him into a box where you can tame him and control him and get him to do what you want him to do, you're wrong. It doesn't work that way. God cannot be put inside of your box. God is bigger than any box that we can put him into. God cannot be held within anything constructed by men. In fact, Sometimes we get confused about the box some of us are sitting in right now. We get confused, and, and people even sometimes refer to a place like where we are right now as God's house. Well, together we're going to go to God's house. Because somehow God lives within this church building. We have to go visit him from time to time to give him our offerings, to appease him for what it is that he wants from us so that we can get out of him what we need and get on with our lives. It's the same thing, friends. Anytime we try to contain God inside of our expectations, we practice idolatry. God cannot be contained that way, friends. God is either God over everything and every aspect of your life, or he is not. And the first rule is so important that God puts out to remind us that there is no other God that can be compared. No other God should be put in front of God, and that means nothing else should be worshipped in the place of God. Nothing else should be, should be honored above God whether it's your money, whether it's your career, whether it's your family, whatever it might be, none of those things should come before God. Because in doing that, in attempting to put any of those things before God, you are putting God into his own little box. God does not fit in your box. And God's name doesn't belong to your agenda. What does that mean? What does it mean when it says to honor God's name? To not misuse his name. In older translations, we hear about saying not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
And some people have simply interpreted that to mean, well, you know, don't swear. Don't swear and use God's name when you swear. While that's true (laughs) and a good thing, it misses so much of the importance of what this really means. It means that God's name can't be co-opted for your agenda. You can't take the name of God and reduce it down to a human agenda or a human platform or a human being. To reduce God to that, well, that also is idolatry. When Moses asks God about his name in his first encounter on the mountain, God is hesitant to reveal his name to Moses. And that's really significant because you see in the time of Moses, God's had names. The little gods that were worshipped by all the little communities all around him all had a name. And to invoke the name of that God was to contain and control the power of that God. So when Moses, who was commanded to go into Egypt and to challenge Pharaoh, who was God on earth, he said, well, look, I've got to have your name, God, if I'm going to go down there. I mean, I've got to tell them which God it is that's coming to meet with them so that they understand whether or not this is a God that's better than their God or better than any of the other gods who shows up. And God simply says to him, when they ask about my name, just tell them, I am. I am has sent you. Really? That's kind of confusing. <laughs> I am. It's kind of like having a, you know, a, a name up on the screen. It's like one of those name tags that are blank. Ha, hello, my name is is i am blank it doesn't give you a whole lot of information but it's exactly what god wants moses to say why because he's not interested in his name being attached to an agenda he's interested in his name being honored he's interested in making sure that everybody there realizes that i am And you're not. And neither is anybody else. I'm the God who is. And every other God who claims to be is a God who is not. The God who is. I am. I am and you're not. I am God and you're not. An important thing for all of us to remember. The first thing for us to understand about God is that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, cannot be contained in any box. And the second thing for us to understand is he is God and you're not. And neither am I. And we can't invoke his name to get something out of him or attach him to any earthly agenda. Be it political, social, personal, whatever it is, that's trying to reduce God down to your size so you can control him. It doesn't work that way. God is God and you are not. He is the God who is. And there is none like him. But God does reveal himself to us with a name. And the name he reveals himself to us in is Jesus. 
See, Jesus has a name. It means God saves. And you can put an I am right in front of that, and it makes total sense, doesn't it? I am the God who saves. Jesus, I am the God who rescues you. And you know, there are some biblical scholars who want to try and point out the fact that, well, you know, Jesus himself never claims to be God. I mean, every time anybody asks him straight up, he always seems to kind of avoid the question. So maybe he really isn't God. Oh, friends, you're missing the point. You see, Jesus understands our human tendency to take anything that is holy or anything that is godly and try to confine it into our box or ascribe it for ourselves. So when there are those who want him to announce to the world that he is the Messiah, Jesus is hesitant. Why? Not because he's not the Messiah, but because he knows that that name and that title has a whole lot of baggage attached to it. And as soon as those around him would want to to say that he is the Messiah, they would expect him to act a particular way, do particular things for them to make them happy, to meet their particular agendas. Jesus won't be contained that way. So is Jesus God? Absolutely. Because in the gospel according to John, seven times... Jesus starts off a phrase by saying, I am. And that's no accident. Seven times, Jesus starts a phrase by saying, I am. But what are the things that he follows that up with? Well, not with particular names, but with the character of who God is. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate, the doorway. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine that gives life to the branches. In the game of life, that's who Jesus is. He is the giver of life. He represents and embodies the character of who God is because he is God in the flesh. While we try to put God into our own boxes, God himself decides to limit himself for our sake into the form of a human being, subject to all of the sin and brokenness of humanity Yet 100% God, perfect and without sin. Yet bound by no earthly authority. Jesus is the name. Jesus is the name that we can speak in confidence. And Jesus, too, will not be limited by any agenda that we want to attach him to. His only agenda is to come and represent the love of God on earth, to show and reveal who God is, and then to show the extent to which God will go 
to have us be a part of his kingdom. All the way to the cross, all the way to death and humiliation and shame for you and for me so that that shame and that death is lifted off of us and brought into eternal life through his resurrection. God doesn't fit in a box. And his name cannot be claimed for any earthly agenda. But friends, Jesus has checked the most important box in your life. He's checked the box that you and I can't possibly check for ourselves. And it's the standard by which God operates. It's a standard of perfection. It's a standard of absolute holiness. It's a standard of otherness, far beyond any human capacity and certainly beyond any human capability to attain. Instead, Jesus comes to check the box of righteousness for you and for me. He comes to live that perfect life so that we can place our trust in him, knowing that he represents exactly what God desires to show us about himself. God who is the good shepherd, God who is the bread of life, God who is the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. In the game of life, thank God that he has checked that box for you. This is the God who we serve. You are not righteous and you cannot live righteously apart from the gift that God has given you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the name that has claimed us. Let's be reminded of that today and every day as we prepare to come to his table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that there is no other God in heaven or on earth or below the earth. None can compare to you, Father. You have invited us into a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has revealed your perfect character has shown us your perfect love and has shown us the way, the way back to you which starts in the way that you have made to us. Thank you, Lord, for showing your deep, deep love for us and for all humanity. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you are the one who has perfectly fulfilled the rules. You are the one who has perfectly revealed God's plan to us. And today we place our hope and our trust 100% in you and nowhere else. King of kings, Lord of lords, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.